sure, our job as parents is to work our way out of a job. That means we are hoping slash planning for our kids to be little by little more independent every day, every week, every year. But remember, we're working our way out of a job. We still very much have a job. Based on your child's age and personality, the amount that you're needed in the morning is going to vary. We know that humans are consistently inconsistent, which means some mornings might feel pretty easy and seamless, and others might feel hard. Today we're going to talk about some of the factors that comprise a smooth morning and also some things that can derail it. And as always, we're going to keep the goal to be realistic. We are humans and we all bring our unique moods and life experiences every day. And if it feels messy and hard, that's because it is messy and hard. Hi, this is Danae. I'm the founder of Simple Families. Simple Families is an online community for parents who are seeking a simpler, more intentional life. In this show, we focus on minimalism with kids, positive parenting, family wellness, and decreasing the mental load. My perspectives are based in my firsthand experience raising kids, but also rooted in my PhD in child development. So you're going to hear conversations that are based in research, but more importantly, real life. Thanks for joining us. Hi there, Danae here. We are going to talk about mornings. I recently received a question from a listener. It said, I was wondering if you could do a quick episode on tips for making school mornings less chaotic. We try to prep things the night before and have a breakfast menu planned. But my oldest son, who's seven years old, seems to wake up in a bad mood often and will ignore us, not ask for help, and it turns into a fight. We also have a five-year-old and an infant due any day now, so I'm more nervous about the mornings. No promises that this is going to be a quick episode because I do have a lot of thoughts on it. My first thought is that each morning we wake up with a fresh start, or so it seems. We have to remember that Good mornings are usually a product of a good night. So what happened over the course of the night is going to hugely impact the way that the morning begins. So one might say that a successful morning routine starts with a successful bedtime routine. Rinse and repeat. I want to start by sharing two things that reliably will make your morning hard. Aside from not getting a good night's sleep, which that one's pretty obvious. Number one. Your mornings will be reliably hard if you're trying to multitask. The more things that you're trying to do while you're trying to get your kids out the door in the morning, the less present you're going to be, the more irritable you're going to be. So a morning where you're multitasking and you're trying to do a thousand things at once is going to be much harder. Number two, mornings will be reliably hard if your expectations exceed your child's capabilities. Many of us have preconceived notions about what our kids are, quote unquote, supposed to be doing at any certain age. If you find yourself comparing your kids to some parenting textbook or the kid next door, stop yourself. Your kids should only be expected to do things that they are capable of doing right now. Not the things that you wish they were capable of doing. 
So kind of a funny story when that question came in and I was reading it over, I was sitting on my sofa. It was a school morning. I'd gotten up about an hour before my kids and I had just finished meditating, which is something that I've been doing better about this school year. Certainly not perfect, certainly not every day. But this particular morning I had got up, I had meditated for 20 minutes, I was reading my messages and emails and I got that message. And I thought to myself, huh, an episode on mornings. I can do that. And I kind of mentally did this quick assessment of what our mornings were like at this point. And I'm thinking, our mornings are pretty smooth. I think I got this figured out. So I started jotting down some notes about mornings and kind of a rough outline for this episode. And I was pretty confident and comfortable in talking about this. And then, as if out of nowhere, my kids developed this psychic need to humble me. And somehow, unbeknownst to me, I ended up yelling at my kids. Oh, the irony. I had just meditated. I had just written this carefully crafted list of how I had everything figured out. And then I didn't. Which ultimately led me to this conclusion that I have come to in so many areas of parenthood. That we're dealing with human beings, not robots. And we are those human beings along with our kids. Every morning is going to look different. The challenges are going to be unique. Some mornings are going to leave us smiling, feeling like we have it all figured out. And others are going to leave us feeling like we're royally messing this up. But the truth is neither of those extremes are true. Therefore, in this episode, I am not going to guarantee any consistent positive outcomes, but I do want to focus on three main takeaways for you to be mindful of as you're moving towards a smoother start to the day. The first takeaway is how are you showing up? The second is let go of age-appropriate expectations and instead Set child-appropriate expectations based on the kid that you have in front of you. And number three, when it comes to implementing something as complex as a morning routine, consider yourself planting seeds. Acknowledge that it's unlikely there will be fruit to harvest this year. But you might see some buds. If not this year, then next year. So I'll give you a little context of where we are in our house with mornings right now. I have a first and a third grader. They are six and eight. My third grader is completely independent at getting himself ready in the morning. I make his breakfast. And this started in second grade, shortly after second grade started. He was mostly independent. When it comes to him in the mornings, I am mostly out of a job. I'd like to take credit for this, and I did, in fact, plant a lot of seeds to help support this process. Okay, so I'm taking a little credit. But the reality is, he is independent because he has high-functioning anxiety, and he's terrified of missing the bus. If you have an eight-year-old who still very much needs you, that's okay. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Now, my six-year-old, on the other hand, needs a lot of support. But I will say that it is night and day from last year. What did mornings look like for her when she was in kindergarten? Full-on man-on-man assist. I'm talking my husband had to lift her out of her top bunk bed, carry her downstairs, sit her in a chair where she barely was upright, 
attempt to pull on her clothes over her head while she was half comatose, half sitting in the chair. It was a struggle. And to be honest, I remember thinking, is it always going to be like this? Is she always going to need this much support? And why is this kid so tired? She sleeps 11 hours every night solid. But this year, in first grade, she's six now. She's getting herself out of bed with an alarm, getting herself dressed, starting to put her pajamas in the laundry basket, and coming downstairs ready to eat breakfast. This has been a huge shift, so much progress, and I'll talk more about this. So let's tackle the first takeaway. How are you showing up? How are you sleeping at night? If you have a newborn and you're sleep deprived, chances are mornings are gonna be hard for you. If you're trying to multitask and do a thousand things at once, chances are mornings are gonna be hard for you. If you're trying to get yourself ready for work while simultaneously getting your kids ready for school, mornings are probably gonna be hard for you. And I know that many of you are gonna have a hard time hearing this, that multitasking in the mornings is not recommended. Many of us can't really see a life without multitasking. So I'm not gonna suggest zero multitasking, but less. Of course, there's the recommendation to do things the night before, right? Pack the lunches the night before, get the backpacks prepped the night before, that sort of thing. You may or may not be doing that consistently, even though you know it's a good idea. I know this has happened to me. So instead of thinking about it as let's get prepared the night before, think about it as how do I reduce my multitasking? How do I take some of the tasks out of the morning and place them into other parts of the day? When you reduce multitasking, you're going to be more patient and present with your kids. And this is a vulnerable time of the day. They're going to need all the patience and presence that you can muster up, which for some of us is hard to do, especially if you're not a morning person. I am a morning person. My high-functioning anxiety helps me jump out of bed and start doing the things that I need to do. Now, I don't jump out of bed early in the morning because I like to hear the birds sing. I mean, I do like to hear the birds sing, but that really doesn't get me out of bed. My high-functioning anxiety gets me out of bed. That constant running to-do list in my brain, for better or worse. And I know that in order to accomplish the things that I need to accomplish, my day starts early. Now, if early mornings are not your thing, be gentle on yourself. Know that you're probably going to have more frequent explosions know that you're probably going to need to get to bed even earlier. For me, the way that I can quite easily put myself to bed is to think of my future self. You know, if it's nine o'clock at night on a Tuesday, I think, what is morning Danae going to feel like if she stays up for another two hours watching Netflix? If I choose to stay up another two hours binging on Netflix... Morning Danae is going to be really irritable. If I choose to go to bed now, Morning Danae might wake up early and meditate. So thinking of your future self can be a really powerful way to help set good habits and help with your own consistency. Now, I know that many of us are also contending with the moods of our children in the morning. But remember that they're mirrors. 
So if we wake up in a bad mood or we wake up irritable, the chances of them mirroring that are very high. And likewise, if they wake up irritable, we may mirror them. So notice that tendency in your own behavior too. So the number one takeaway, how are you showing up? How can you take a look at your own well-being so that when the morning comes, you can be as well-rested as reasonably possible in this season of your life, and you can do minimal multitasking, which might mean planning for time to do the lunch packing and the backpack prep or even get yourself ready at a time other than that crucial window where you're getting your kids out the door. Let's move on to the second takeaway. Let go of age-appropriate expectations and instead set child-appropriate expectations. Now, I have just told you that my six and eight-year-old are getting themselves mostly ready in the mornings. And you may think to yourself that, oh, well, if Danae's kids can do it, my kids should be able to do it. And immediately, you feel pressure. And that pressure is inadvertently passed on to our kids, whether we know it or not. It doesn't matter what any other kids are doing at any certain age. It doesn't matter what your wonder years or wonder weeks or whatever those books are say that your kids should be doing at this given time if those things are an argument to get them to do. You have to start right where you're at with the skill set that your kids currently have. When it comes to a smooth running morning routine, executive function comes into play in so many ways. Executive functioning is your child's brain management system. One definition that I like of executive functioning is that it's your brain's management and cooling system. So it helps with the organization and the planning and the momentum, but also the ability to regulate emotions and be flexible and problem solve. Let's pause for a three-minute word from today's sponsors. I love the way that the waves in my hair look when they're at their best, but until now, that hasn't been very often. Less Brands has really helped me to simplify my routine. The system is only three steps, even I can handle it. Shampoo, conditioner, and an all-in-one styler. What I like about the all-in-one styler is that it doesn't leave my hair crunchy or wet looking, but it actually works. Every product is dermatologist tested and approved with no harsh ingredients. So far, my hair loves less brands, and I think yours will too. You can see for yourself why they have over 30,000 five-star reviews. Right now, my listeners can get 15% off your first purchase of $50 or more. This is only at lessbrands.com with the promo code SIMPLE. That's L-U-S brands with an S dot com and promo code SIMPLE. Don't wait, get 15% off with the promo code SIMPLE at lessbrands.com. Try it out. I think you're going to love it. We've recently entered into a new season here in New York, and with every season change, Verity is the first place that I look to add classic staple pieces to my wardrobe. Verity makes clothes that feel good and make you feel good. It's a family brand that believes in comfort and quality. It shows because they're passionate about their craftsmanship and sustainability. So much so that each piece comes with a lifetime warranty. They'll fix or replace your clothes no matter what for life. So if you want to layer your favorite pieces for a cozy fall vibe or even easier, stick with a one and done jumpsuit. Right now, Feyerty is giving listeners 15% off on every order. That's 15% off on every order. 
Head to fairitybrand.com slash simple and use the code simple at checkout to get this deal. That's simple at fairity, F-A-H-E-R-T-Y brand.com slash simple for 15% off. Fairitybrand.com slash simple. Our third and final sponsor for today is Little Spoon. Little Spoon is a one-stop shop for healthy, easy mealtime and snack time for your baby, toddler, and big kid, delivered right to your door. With fresh organic baby food for every stage, they offer toddler and kids meals that even picky eaters will love, and they have healthy snack time options like their new smoothies line. Little Spoon makes everything fresh and uses absolutely nothing artificial. It's just like homemade, all delivered to your door and ready in seconds. You can pop the meals into your fridge or freezer and use them when you're ready. It's kid approved and I even caught my husband eating some of ours, so I'll call it adult approved too. Make feeding your family this year a little more manageable and time-saving with delicious and healthy meals and snacks that you can feel good about. Enter the code SIMPLE50 at checkout to get 50% off your first Little Spoon order. That's 50% off your first Little Spoon order with the code SIMPLE50 at checkout. That's littlespoon.com. Thanks for tuning in and back to today's episode. All right, back to our episode and discussion of the impact of executive functioning on kids getting ready in the morning. Executive functioning skills are always developing. Just as the rest of your child's brain is a work in progress, so are their executive functioning skills. The way that I see it, there are three parts of executive functioning that come into play the most in the morning. So when I read these three, think about where your sticking points are with your kids or even with yourself. Number one, it's hard to get started. The getting out of the bed part, the getting moving at the very beginning. Maybe the sticking point is just getting out of bed and putting one foot in front of the other to get started. Number two, it's hard to remember all the things. Getting ready in the morning is a complex sequence of events. Requires a variety of tools, a pattern. You know, if you brush your teeth before you eat your breakfast, then your breakfast tastes bad. So you've got to remember all the things and come up with some sort of order that makes sense to do all of the things. In our house, the kids get dressed upstairs before they come down and they don't go back upstairs for the rest of the morning. So they start with the upstairs tasks and finish with the rest of the tasks downstairs. This is helpful because it prevents us from feeling like we're running all over the house all morning. And it also prevents them from getting distracted with something in their rooms. The third sticking point I see with executive functioning is even if you get up and you get going and you know all the things that you're supposed to be doing, it can be hard to keep moving forward towards your goal, to keep up with that momentum. So maybe you see yourself or your kids and one of those sticking points. Here are some real life examples of how these things have come into play with my own kids and with myself and my partner. So it's hard to get started. This was the main sticking point last year with my daughter. She could not get the day started. It involved her getting up later than she really needed to and then us rushing around to do all of the things. It was exhausting. So this year we started a new system You may or may not agree with this system, but this is what we're doing, and it's working for us. So we're giving her a dollar every day that she gets up and gets herself dressed. I did the math, and in the average month, she's probably in school anywhere from 16 to 19 days. 
So that's about $16 to $19 a month that I am able to put into my budget to save my sanity. If you haven't listened to the episode on reward charts, make sure you tune into that simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 211. I will be really honest, as I tell you in that episode, we don't do reward charts that often. I don't love doing reward charts. And though I use them infrequently, they can be incredibly effective, especially when it comes to establishing a new behavior such as this, getting out of bed in the morning, getting that momentum going. So this isn't a true reward chart because she just gets a dollar every day. But I'll tell you a little bit about my thought process and the organization of this. So she's dying to get gerbils and I do not really want gerbils. So I'm making it fairly difficult, which means that she has to save a whole lot of money to get the gerbils. Um, She has to save up for the cage and for the food and for future food and for the gerbils themselves and just a lot of things. So we're somewhere in the neighborhood of like $150 all in on this durable investment that she's saving for. And she's been doing a really great job. But I do know that she really wants money right now to put towards these gerbils. So quite simply, that's why I chose this reward of a dollar because I knew it was gonna be very motivating for her. And motivation was exactly what we needed. So on the first day of school, we started this and she jumped out of bed, got herself into her uniform for the day and came downstairs. It felt like a miracle. It felt like the best dollar I've ever spent in my life. Not only did it feel good for me, it felt good for her. She was beaming with pride at the fact that she was able to do something that was so hard for her last year. You know, I had had a conversation with my husband about this and I was like, you know, if someone gave you $20 every day to get up without a snooze the first time your alarm went off, would you do it? And he was like, yeah, for sure. For us as adults, $20 for us probably feels about like a dollar for kids. So the first couple days she did this, you know, she jumped out of bed, threw her clothes on, ran downstairs. And it proved to actually be pretty easy once she did it for a couple days and she got into the habit of it. So I don't plan on giving her a dollar every day for the rest of her life just for getting dressed. Instead, I'm increasing the demand. So once she mastered that first step, which she did pretty quickly in the first week, we added in a second step. Now she has to get out of bed at her alarm, get dressed, and put her dirty laundry in the hamper. This may seem like a small thing for some, but for this child, this is a nearly impossible task. So while she had success for the first week, the second week when we added in this demand of picking up the piece of laundry off the floor and putting it into the hamper, it became a struggle. And when I say a struggle, it didn't become a power struggle. It was just noticeable that this was something she was gonna need some extra support with. And honestly, it was hard for me. I just really wanted to give her the dollar for getting dressed because she was so excited about getting dressed and being successful. And I really wanted that success to continue, but I had added this additional element and I really needed to enforce it. So I was I was really pulled. I'm like, oh, but she, she did most of it. Can I just give her the dollar? A little bit of self-talk. Okay, Danae, she is 100% capable of lifting up that nightgown and sticking it into the hamper. And this is not an unreasonable demand. So the first day that it happened, she came downstairs proud and ready to get her dollar. And I celebrated with her. And then I walked upstairs and I saw the pajamas were in fact still on the floor. And I was like, ah, I was so bummed. Um, So I called her upstairs and I showed her. I was like, oh, darn it. I was like, you forgot to put your clothes in the hamper. So you're not going to get your dollar today, but tomorrow, tomorrow is going to be the day. I wasn't punitive. 
I wasn't shameful. Instead, I was just kind of bummed with her and encouraging that she got to try it again the next day. So she wasn't upset, not angry, just kind of like, oh, man. So the next day, same thing happened. Came downstairs celebrating. I walked upstairs to see that the pajamas were still laying in the middle of her floor. So now I've realized on the second day that this demand is really outside the realm of her capability. So she's going to need some prompting and she's going to need some support. So what that's looking like right now in week three, we're still working on this step, is that she gets up, she gets dressed, and as I hear her getting dressed upstairs, I call to her, don't forget the one thing. What's the one thing? And then she calls out and tells me what the one thing is as that verbal reminder. So I'm prompting her to recall the task that she needs to complete. And she's more than willing to do it. She just struggles to remember that she needs to do it. So I have added in some prompting for this task because it is proving to be more difficult than I expected. And when she does it, when she gets the pajamas in the hamper, which still isn't happening every day, we really celebrate. It's a big deal. And when it doesn't happen, we're a little bummed together. And then I kind of mentally do a check. If it's not happening on enough days, that's a sign to me that she needs more support around this. What sort of prompting and support does she need in order to help make it happen? So I'm fading myself out little by little. In this step, this is an example of her struggling with number one, having a hard time getting started, and also number two, it's hard to remember all the things. So we're adding them in one at a time. We're building upon it, slowly. And lastly, number three, even when you remember all the things, it's hard to keep moving forward towards your goal. It's hard to keep up the momentum, completing all the tasks. It's easy to get distracted, especially for kids. So for a year or two before my son was independently executing his morning routine, we had a start the day form, which was basically pictures of all the things that he needed to do so he could internalize that visual routine. So he could remember all the things that he had to do. That's the first step. You got to know what you need to do. And then the second step, you got to keep moving forward, keep checking the boxes, keep doing the things. So in that start the day form with the list of all the things that we had to do, the photos of all the things that they had to do, at the end, there was a little reward. They got to watch a quick show. And at this point in time, that fit into our morning routine. It no longer does, but at that point in time, it did. So they got a little bit of brief TV time after they finished all the morning routine. There was that motivator at the end that helped to keep up the momentum and that forward moving pace. So no, we don't need to use external rewards for everything. I don't recommend it. But when we are establishing new behaviors and we need to increase motivation in order to teach those new behaviors and those sequences of behaviors, rewards can come in handy and they can be a good teaching tool. And when it comes to fading out the rewards, first think about adding to the demand, kind of like I did with not only do you get dressed, but you also put the clothes into the hamper. Once she's mastered that, the next thing we're going to add in is she's going to make her own toast. She's going to put the toast in the toaster and then put the butter on the toast because that's what she loves to eat every morning. But I don't know when that will happen. Could be a while and that's okay. Which brings us to the third takeaway, which is remind yourself, you are planting seeds. Acknowledge that it is unlikely that there will be fruit to harvest this year. Quick fixes generally are never the way to go. 
you are building up a skill set little by little. It's going to be a skill set that comes easier to some than others. And even if you try a checklist of things to do to get ready and it doesn't work, quote unquote work, remind yourself that you're planting seeds. You're practicing. So even if it doesn't feel like it's working, which a lot of people define as, you know, getting the kid to do all the things on their own independently right away, it might still be helping and building upon those skills for years to come. Remind yourself that you probably have an internal working clock. Not only are you able to remember all the things that need to be done, but you also have this clock inside your head that kind of paces you. It's going to take me about three minutes to go to the bathroom and brush my teeth. It's going to take me about 10 minutes to get dressed. It's going to take me 15 minutes to do my hair. You're constantly pacing yourself with that internal working clock that you have. Our kids don't have that yet. And without that, it makes that pacing really hard. Something that we've done is to put analog clocks, just, you know, old school clocks all over our house. My kids each have one in their room. I'm actually going to put the link in the show notes to the one that I really like for our kids. It's really easy to read. But the addition of analog clocks is a vital thing for all children. Many kids are reading time almost exclusively in digital format. And the problem with that is they don't see the passage of time. So say you glance at the clock and it's 12.15 and you get to work on a task, you're washing dishes, and then you finish the dishes and you glance over and you see that it's 12.30. Washing the dishes took about 15 minutes. You can tell that at a quick glance at the clock. You are starting to develop an internal sense of what 15 minutes feels like. You see the time pass on the clock, you match it up with the task at hand, and you can generalize that and apply that to things in the future. I know a lot of parents do this with shows. It's like, okay, we're leaving in 20 minutes. That's the length of one Pokemon episode. That's the same idea. With the addition of adding in the visual piece of seeing the time pass on an analog clock. And again, this is seed planting, right? There will be no fruit this year. Unlikely that you're going to put these analog clocks up all over your house and they're going to change your life next week. But the more that your kids are seeing them, the more that you're referencing them, the more that they're noting that passage of time, little by little, the more they're going to internalize it and be able to set that rhythm for themselves. And as always, things are going to go wrong. You're going to wake up and realize you have no bread for sandwiches. You're going to oversleep. Your kids are going to be up and down all night and wake up grumpy. You're going to feel like you have everything figured out, and then your kids are going to humble you and realize that every single one of us are just a work in progress. I hope this episode has given you some tips to having a smoother morning with your kids. Maybe a little self-compassion and empathy for the days when you don't. And also some recognition for the baby steps and the seeds that you're planting and the progress that you might be making without even realizing it. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoy the Simple Families podcast, please leave a rating or review for this show. And if you find this episode particularly helpful, take a screenshot, share it in your Instagram stories or anywhere else that you share things with friends. I appreciate you and I'm glad you're here.